You'd want to slip your hand up real quick, and Mona will get you to get you that. Or Wednesday night usher at usher, however you want to say that. I don't know. We'll call her usher usherette, Mona. Whatever you want to say there, Mark. You got new glasses? Man, you look so handsome, studious in those glasses. I hope you can see me better. Then I would put the old ones back on. That's what I would do. And so, all right. So we are in Ephesians chapter number four. Some of you might feel like I'm picking on you tonight when we get to the verses, but I'm not picking on anybody tonight. It's just where we are. It's the next part of the passage. And uh, we've been going, and you know, sometimes we're like, Pastor, you preached that message just at me, didn't you? We're just going in order through the book of Ephesians. And so if the Lord works on your heart, then uh, you probably should just listen to what he tells you to do. And that would be a good thing. Ephesians chapter number 4. Go down with me to verse number 25. Wherefore, you see that verse there? Verse 25, wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Oh, we got that up on the wall, don't we, about being members one of another. Verse number 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give, may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but, says there, that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption, but all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, some of you are thinking, man, we haven't we used these verses a lot lately? Yeah, but there's so much more we need to do with them. In fact, tonight, we are looking at part one of, I think I'm going to do five parts on just these verses. We're going to cover one area each week. And so... As we dive in tonight, let's have a word of prayer, and then let's look at this tonight and see what we can get from the passage. Father, we love you, and we need you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for being the God that you are. And I pray tonight as we're gathered here that we would focus in on what you have for us and help us tonight in these areas. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First thing you notice when you look at verse 25, it says, wherefore. When you see that word wherefore, what the Bible's telling you, what the Lord's trying to tell you is, always look back at the verses before it. And we see this often. There are two words that it's good to keep that in mind, the word wherefore and therefore. Keep that in mind when you see those words. And they're used a lot in the scriptures. But look at what it says right there, wherefore, and then it says put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, we are members one of another, and it goes through a long list of things. Well, the wherefore found in verse number 25 points our attention back to verse number 17. Go back to 17 through 24. It says, This I say and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
So what we see here is, we see Paul speaking here, and we talked about it last week. Paul starts out by saying, you're not, you're not supposed to walk the way that the Gentiles walk. Christian, you're not supposed to walk the way the world walks. Well, why aren't we supposed to walk the way they do? Well, there are three things that were listed there. They walk in the vanity of their mind. It's vain. They have their understanding darkened and the blindness of their heart. They've been given over to these past feelings. You're a saved child of God. That's not the way we live today. When you got saved, the Bible says that, uh, that you became a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And Paul says, when you do those things, you haven't learned what Christ is all about. That's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life, because of what the Lord has done, and because you're a saved child of God, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to put off the old man. So what that tells me right away in my mind is the fact that the old man is there. When you got saved, you don't get rid of the old man, or for some of you, the old woman. The old woman, the old man is still in your life. They just don't magically go away when you get saved. They're there. And the fact that the, uh, Paul uses here and says you've got to take off and put off the old man first, that means it's probably easier to let the old man rule in our lives, isn't it? Let's be honest tonight. It is easier to let the old man do what he wants. And in fact, sometimes we even like doing those things. The Bible says you need to put off the old man. Just as a man or someone won't have a coat on, you take it off. William went with me on this little trip that we were on and up to the pastor's conference there. He was with me. He's a trooper, lasted two days with me. And so he went with me to the hospital. He's never been on a hospital visit with me before. And he went, you're like, are you worried you're going to get the coronavirus? No, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> no. I had someone tell me, man, the coronavirus is getting worse. I said, I wouldn't know. I don't watch the news. Say, so you don't watch the news? I will every once in a while, but you're going to be a paranoid mess. You know, we're going to have to, before long, if this keeps up, we're going we're gonna to build these individual little things that go over every seat. You can sit in your little hole and have you covered and have a little spot for you to breathe. No more handshaking, no more nothing else, no more talking to people. Just, you know, keep everyone sanitary and away from each other. So William's up there with me. We're up there. He's never been in the hospital for anything, and I should have realized this in my mind. And, uh, and, and, there, and the lady has just lost her foot, too, and I should have thought better on a few things that I didn't do. And so 10 minutes into the conversation, he's like, I don't feel good, Dad. And then he's like, I see black. I don't see anything. I can't see. It's black. <laughs> He's starting to fall down. I grab him. Gene gets up, and I put him in Gene's walker, the seat there. And he had his coat on. I didn't even notice he had his coat on. And it zipped up. I unzip his coat. He was sweating up a storm in there. And he partially passed out. I took his coat off. You're like, how could you leave that? I didn't realize it was on. And I've been being a very good dad the past couple days, making sure he had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, making sure that he didn't have too much candy and soda and all that stuff. I tried, okay? You know your son and how he is. I've been being good. I haven't even been eating that stuff, and I still had some self-control. But I took the coat off, and he started coming back too. <laughs> I can see again, Dad. Oh, oh. The nurses hear that, and I'm like, great. They're going to make me check him in in the ER, and we're going to be here all day now. 
And what? I took the coat off. And he cooled down. They give him apple juice. He's got like four nurses around him. And they're putting ice on. I'm like, oh no, what is going on? I'm like, he's fine. Feel him. He he was overheated. And uh, I guess they they thought they're... And I want to tell them, you're just nurses anyways. You're not a doctor anyways. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I wasn't going to say that. But um, I wasn't going to say that. I was just teasing. And so, but what I do, I just took the coat off. And man, it sure made a difference quickly. Just as I took the coat off of William, that's what the Bible says. You've got to take off the old man. And then it says you need to be renewed in your mind. How do you renew your mind? Through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit of God. And as you are in the scriptures and as you um, are filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible says then you put on the new man. And I think every Christian wants that new man to run things. Because that new man's so much better at it. That new man get, might get a, little, get a little angry, but he doesn't sin and he does what's right. That new man forgives. That old man wants to hold on to things. And so Paul is saying here, hey, put off that old man. Be renewed. Spend time in the Word. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And then put on the new man. Because you're not supposed to live like this world lives. And then we see, he says, wherefore, because we're not supposed to live like this world, he starts out by saying, stop your lying. Where it begins. He talks about our mouths. Now, our words. The Lord saved us, he changed us. And because of that, we're going to take several weeks, three or four, maybe five, and talk about the results of a transformed life. Which leads us to number one tonight. What the results of a transformed life, it comes, number one, in the arena of our words. Verse 25 and verse 29. You see, hey, Christian, you need to put off the old man, be renewed, and spend time in the Word, be filled with the Spirit of God, and you put on the new man. When you're wearing the new man, the first area it's going to affect is your words. Look at verse 25, wherefore... Look what it says here. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Then go down to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying may minister grace unto the hearers. Paul deals with, in verse 25 and 29, he deals with this area of our speech. The things we say and how we say them are an indication of our heart. When the heart is right, guess what? Your words will be right. When our heart is right, and our hearts are right, our words, they're going to be right. When our heart is out of step with the Lord, your words will be out of step as well. You know, one of the things, and, and I, I won't use names or anything like that, but it's interesting when people miss church for a while. A while back, I was with, Ryan and I were together. We saw someone that used to come to church more often. And within five seconds of being around that person, they were swearing up a storm. Oh, pastor! Why? Because they've just gotten out of it. And it happens often. <laughs> you would see in Bible college, there would be a couple things. When a guy would get kicked out for some reason, two things would happen. Number one, they'd start growing facial hair. That would be the first thing. 
That was a thing back in the day because heaven forbid you have facial hair. For some reason in Bible college, you know, Jesus had a beard, but for us to have facial hair, heaven forbid, you know, and I think their thing is Jesus really didn't have a beard. It was just because he couldn't shave while he was in jail before he got it, and it grew so fast. No, he had a beard, and it's okay. I would have one, but my wife says I can't, and if she's going to kiss me, I can't have one. So she wins. So you say, well, why don't you just, no, I want her to kiss me. I'll not grow one. That's simple. That's, you know, you say, is she threatening? You're like, yeah, and I think she means it when she said it too. I'm not going to try her on that one. But they would, their facial hair, and then just the way they would talk. You'd see them at church, facial hair, and just the way they would talk, you'd just tell they were out of it out of that thing. It's very important they understand our words. They're very powerful. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 through 37. O generation of vipers. I love the way Jesus talks. How can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, look at what it says here, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You say, oh, everything's good inside, and your language doesn't back that up, or your mouth back that up. Things are not good inside. And sometimes the things that we talk about, and teenagers sometimes, or adults, whatever the case may be, and you're talking about dirty, perverted things, you can't tell me your heart's right if you're talking about dirty, perverted things. Because out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaketh. A good man out of a good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Verse 36. By saying to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by, the wor- for by thy words thou shalt be ju- justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Words are important with the Lord, aren't they? With that in mind, let's see what Paul has to say in this matter tonight. First thing we see, letter A, and if you notice I, in your notes, it's not a typo or anything. You have point one. That's all we're covering tonight. Next week will be point two. And it's just a continuation. So the next few weeks is a continuation. That's why it says part one. Oh, I get it. Yeah, okay, here we go. So number one, we see here that in the arena of our words, letter A, put away lying. Look at verse 25. It says, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It's amazing that Paul would caution a Christian about the sin of lying. Yet, the heart is wicked, we know that, and there's often times where we're put in positions to tell the truth, and we don't do it. But as a Christian, guess who lives inside of us? The spirit of truth. When we lie, we're going against that new man. So it's not the new man running the show. It's the old man running the show. We live in a nation of liars today. We lie at the drop of a hat. Listen to the survey here. A survey revealed that 91% of those surveyed lie routinely about matters they consider trivial, and 36% lie about important matters. Teens that were surveyed, 86% lie regularly to their parents, 75% to friends, 73% to siblings, and then married couples, 69% to their spouse. Here are some of the common lies that are told every day. The check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. 
We service what we sell. Give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. It doesn't happen very often. One size fits all. That is so not true. And the bigger you are, you know that's the right thing. You know, if they made it big enough for someone like me to wear, then you got the skinniest person in it, it's like a tent on them. But anyways, one size fits all, that's a lie. Um, your luggage isn't lost. It's only misplaced. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh, maybe that could be true. I just need five minutes of your time. And an hour later, your table will be ready in just a moment. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Here's a good one. Let's have lunch sometime. Think about it. When we think about a lie, in simple terms, anything that is not the full truth is a lie. Lying includes far more than telling direct falsehoods. How about this? When we exaggerate by adding falsehoods, to that which starts out as truth, it's a lie. When we change the facts to spare someone's feelings, I'm just trying to be... That, that's lying. When we alter the truth in any way, it's a lie. When we cheat in school, it's a lie. When we cheat on our taxes, <clears throat> it's a lie. When we make promises we know we can't keep, that's lying. When we, when we betray a confidence, it's a lie. When we engage in flattering of others, it could be a lie. When we make excuses to cover our failures and our shortcomings, that's lying. That's not the truth. When we withhold information in order to mislead or deceive, it's called lying. The Bible says in this passage here, Paul, speaking to Christians, you need to quit being like the world. And that begins by telling the truth. This world lies. They're going to. Who's their father? The father of lies. But you're not of the devil anymore. You have that new person. Put it away. The Bible tells in Proverbs 26, verse 28, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 6, verse, 19, verse 16 through 19. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Man, these things are bad, right? Starts out a proud look. God hates it. He detests a proud look. A lying tongue. He hates lying. He can't stand it. Bible says in hands that shed innocent blood, verse number eight, verse eighteen, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief. Look at this one: a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Two out of the seven list are about lying. Lying is mentioned more in the things that God hates right here in Proverbs than anything else. And you could even say the mouth and what the mouth does. You include verse number 19 there. The mouth is talked about quite a bit. God hates lying. Paul says here, wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. 
we as believers should be characterized by the truth. Because the spirit of truth lives inside of us. We are indwelled by the spirit of truth. And anything less than the whole truth is not truth. There's no such thing as a little white lie. All lying is wrong. All lying is sin. And it's contrary to who we are, Jesus Christ. And by the way, a life that is characterized by a steady stream of lies gives clear evidence of the fact that either you're really backslidden, really backslidden, or you might not be saved. Christians may fail and fall into lying occasionally, and it will happen. Say, Pastor, when's the last time you lied? I'm not going to answer that because I might be lying when I say it, so I'm not going to even say it. But a Christian should not be characterized by lying. The devil's characterized as a liar and a deceiver, correct? Here's a few quotes about lying. Austin O'Malley said this. He said, a lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie and you are forced to tell others to back it up. Stretching the truth won't make it last any longer. Those that think it's permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. John Wesley said this. I would not tell one lie to save the soul of all the world. When we're caught in a lie, what does it do? It undermines our credibility. It destroys other people's confidence in us. If we lie to others, they will never know if we're telling the truth or not. But it is a natural thing for the old man to lie. When I first started in ministry and I'm going on, what is it, it's going to be 13 years, 10 years pastoring, yeah, 10 years this October, 13 years in ministry, um, started out, started a Christian school, oh boy, I tell you, being a principal then, still principal now, how, how come I'm still doing it, I don't know, I think the Lord did all that to prepare me for now, so it's all good, but one of the things I learned very quickly with kids, I would, something would happen, you know, two kids would fight at break, and hurt one another's feelings or push someone else down and you know you got to deal with it because if you don't they're going to go home and tell their mother and then they tell their mother and then their mothers are going to get mad and it's going to blow out of proportion and everything else so i would call a kid in and what happened and they would just tell the story about how they didn't do anything and this other kid came out of nowhere and they just pushed me down and i didn't do a thing to cause any of it and i call the other kid in I didn't do anything. It was the other kid. The whole thing. And so I don't do it that way anymore. I learned very quickly. Kids lie. Adults lie. They all lie. And it's more natural that way. So before, and there are probably some kids that could, in our school, that could tell you what I say. But the way it goes is this. Before you say a word to me, the truth shall set you free. The truth is much more, much better than lying. I'm not saying you're not going to get in trouble for what's happened, but it will not be as bad if you don't lie. And you know, I'll pull someone, did you cheat? No, no, no! Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. Just tell the truth. Yeah, I did. It's a natural thing to lie. That's where Paul says, 
Wherefore, put away lying. You're not blind like this world. You don't have a vain mind. You've been enlightened. You've been opened up. You're, you have a new man. So don't let, don't be a liar. That's what we see right here. You know, and sometimes too, you know, if we're talking about telling the truth and all these things, we're on the subject of lies and truth. It also could be said that just because something is true doesn't mean you need to tell everyone about it. A lot of people have been hurt by a lot of truth. The truth that no one had any business telling someone else. That's called being a gossip. Now, if something happens and there's truth there, you need to tell certain people, I get it. And things need to be handled correctly and properly. But calling up brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and saying, please pray for somebody, this is that... You use the excuse that you're praying for them when you're just gossiping about them. We've got to be very careful about that. We've got to guard our speech from lies. We've got to guard from having a sharp tongue. It, you, you think about this. In letter A, as we talk about put away lying, it's easy to lie. It just comes more natural. But it's so much harder when you lie you got to lie and lie and lie. That quote was very true. It's just not one lie. Because that lie has got to have another lie. And another lie. And another lie. And you do that long enough. I remember one time growing up, my mom said, how can I trust what you say if you lie to me? Can people trust your word if you lie? Say, Pastor, I thought we were going to keep going. That's what we're doing here. As Christians, we need to stop lying. Can people count on you to tell the truth? When you sign, <laughs> when you sign a paper that you're going to come to a meeting, and then you don't. Now, I know some of you are thinking, and shouldn't even use this example, but I'm going to. Katie, I love you. I'm going to use you as an example. It seems like every time she signs up, something literally comes up, right? And so, and but she let, she lets me know ahead of time. Even It might be an hour or two, but she lets me know. But it just seems like, so she's going to quit signing up and just come when she can. And that might work better for her. But she came, I know, she came just this, I come to pick up her kids for Awanas, and what did she do? She comes out and hands me, here's the money for the dinner that we didn't make. And so I'm not telling you when I say, if you sign, but there are some people, I know every time they sign up, that they will never be at what they say. It gets to the point where I don't even count them in the count if they're on the sign-up sheet. Say, so are they saying in the room, I'm not saying, that's called gossiping, even though it's true. We need to be people of our word. We need to be honest in our dealings with others. You know, we talk about right now, it's tax season. How many times? I, I had a Christian uh, just a couple years ago, someone else coming to our church, and they don't come anymore, and they won't see this, or, and you don't know who it is sometimes. But anyways, he said he'd, he didn't work a job, but he had four kids. So he would let four people count them on their taxes, and they would give him half the money from that child income 
half the money for the credit they would get for that child. So what they would do is, you know, there's a for my, because of my kids and having them in my house for the year, I get a, an, a credit for it, a child credit. So he would give them their kids and say the kid lived with them and get a tax return and get money and they would split the money. So the person would, and I, t- I said, why would you share that with me? That's wrong. It's wrong. It's lying. We got to work on this thing of lying. Young people, we got to work on not lying. And I say young people, it's all the adults too. We all, ha- we all struggle with it at times. A lot of times we lie just to try and make ourselves look good. At the end of the day, God already knows how we are, and he should be the only one we're trying to oppress. And he sees it all. So the first thing tonight, we got to put away lying. If that's not convicting enough, number two or letter B, we need to put away corrupt communication. Put away corrupt communication. See, it's 7.20. This is why we only did one point tonight, because we're still going to be struggling to get done by 7.30. Put away corrupt communication. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. Just as we're to guard our words against lying, we are to guard our words against corrupt communication, rotten speech. The word corrupt there means it's it's a word that refers to that which is rotten. You know, I always think one of the worst smells you can get in the house is when you got a rotten potato. And uh, growing up, my dad was one of the pickiest eaters. On the fa- he's still one of the pickiest eaters on the face of the planet. He's 78 years old. And you might some of you might think my kids are picky. They're nothing compared to my dad. He literally, literally, he lives off of ice cream and. All that's, and he's pretty skinny too. He lives off of ice cream, cake, cookies, and he has a cup of hot tea in the morning and maybe cornflakes with sugar all over the top. He has a very, and if I were to tell you his whole diet, you would just think, how could a person? So wh- when he was young, my um, my grandma took him to the doctor, and the doc, and she said, my son won't eat. What am I supposed to do? The doctor said, just give him what he wants, and he'll eventually, you know, he'll grow out of that. Well, she gave him what he wanted. That was not good advice from the doctor. And he's 78 years old, and he eats the same to this day. And over, and in all honesty, if he wouldn't have been a little dumb when he was younger and jump off of roofs and do some crazy things with his back, that's his biggest problem at 78. He's lived on, I think it's the preservatives and those cookies he eats and the ice cream and everything else. He's doing those Oreos and things. He Overall, his health is pretty good for eating junk. And my mom is one of the most healthiest eaters I've ever seen, and she has every physical problem and diabetes and everything. She doesn't even eat that much sweet things. And my dad, he just goes to town with it all. You go to the house and you look in the, you know, I'll go shopping for them sometimes, and I know the the ch- the lady at the register's thinking, "Aren't you fat enough to be buying all this ice cream and this cake? You know, you should start a diet." I know that's what they're thinking. You just see the look on their face when you got these 50-50 ice cream bars going by, these fudge bars, and all this other four, four half gallons of vanilla ice cream every two weeks. And it's like, and I'm just standing there, I'm like, I know what you're thinking right now. And then sometimes I'll even say, this is for my parents, and they're thinking, yeah, right, he's lying right now. And no, but it really is. 
Where was I going with all that? Oh, but anyways, so but the one the one vegetable my dad would eat, which is my favorite vegetable, is potatoes. It, it technically is. Technically. Technically. You can say hey, it's just a starch. Okay, that's fine. You say that if you want. And since I've been being a little bit more healthy, I, I can't have many potatoes, and I really miss it. But potato, potatoes are just good. But my literally, because that's what my dad would eat most of the time, we, they would go to Tom's Farms, and we'd have a 50-pound box of potatoes in the garage. And we'd go through them in about two months, a month and a half. They'd just go through potatoes quick. But when you walk into the garage every once in a while, there would just be this smell. And you knew that there was a rotten potato in there. And so you say, what did you do? Mom, I think there's something rotten in there. Did you get, no, I didn't get in there. That's, that smell was awful. And, uh, but that's what the Bible's talking about here, rotten. You think of rotten fruit or vegetables or spoiled foods. The other day I got in my truck and I'm getting ready to drive down the road and I'm like, it stinks in here. And I looked around thinking William might have left his shoes in there or something. No, it wasn't William's shoes. Matthew's sippy cup was in there. And those things are supposed to not leak, right? And there's sour milk, a line in my back seat. And my truck smelled like sour milk. So I grabbed the milk cup, and it's like jello inside the cup. <laughs> rotten. The Bible says that we're supposed to put away rotten communication, rotten speech. Just as we're supposed to not lie, we need to put away corrupt communication. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? We need to guard our tongues from profanity. Too many Christians use words they should not use. And shame on you if you ever put God's name or Jesus' name in any of them. I, I, I still think, if you, if you want to swear, just take Satan's name and swear at his name. Do it. Satan. Well, that's, that sounds great, doesn't it? People will say, Jesus Christ, give me a break. He did nothing. And one time I heard someone say that. And I was right there. I'm like, oh, do you love him too like I do? And they just gave me a weird look. He's my best friend. He died for me. He gave his life for me. Don't ever take his name in vain. Take Satan's name in vain. Start doing that. Isn't it amazing how we only do it with God's name? There's so many other things. Shame on us. We need to be careful and guard our tongues from profanity. We need to guard our tongues. It talks about um, um, corrupt communication. How about the off-color jokes? Oh, but it's funny. No, it's not. It's wrong. And you're letting garbage come out of your mouth. Dirty stories. Gossip. Man, do you hear how quiet it is in here? Because when you talk about things that we all struggle with, from lying to the things that come out of our mouth, it hits home just a little bit. But you're not like the world anymore. Your communication, the way you talk, shouldn't be like this world. And if it is, you need to take that old man off. Be renewed and put on the new man. And the new man will not talk that way. When our words are good and wholesome, it gives evidence that we belong to the Lord and that we might actually be right with the Lord. 
when our speech is foul and rotten, it does not represent our Lord very well. And I know we could say, well, we think about James chapter number 3. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Go to James chapter 3 for a second. Woo, 727, we got to hurry up here. James chapter 3. Look at verse number 8, and you're like, yep, this is my verse. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. See, pastor, no man can tame their tongue. Duh! You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And when you put off the old man, be renewed and put on the new man, guess what? You can control it! But you can't do it on your own. You need the Spirit of God's help. You can control it. Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Here's a verse that I wrote out many times as a kid and got carpal tunnel from. Proverbs 21, 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles and from writing verses out as a teenager. By the help of the Holy Spirit, church, it is possible to control your tongue. When the tongue is brought under the control of the Lord, it will react in the right manner. When we react wrong with our mouths, it's when we let the old man run the show. And I will tell you something. One of the areas that Brian Pattison struggles with to this day is his mouth. There's ever, ever a, a disagreement in our house. Caroline goes silent. I wish my old man was a silent old man. That would be very nice. But my old man doesn't like to be silent. My old man likes to speak up and get things figured out right now and talk now. I wish it wasn't that way. You know, in general, when I'm around people and I'm in a group of people, I don't talk a lot. But if something needs to be done, it's just my tongue. It's a problem. And some of you are like, Pastor, you have, and you do too. You know you do. And then for those of you that keep silent, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Because I know that you're probably not thinking the right things either all the time. When the tongue, you want to know, how, how do I know if I'm using my tongue right? Well, are you ready? This is what it's going to do. You have a number one and a number two? Or do you not have that in your notes? You do or you don't? All right, number one, you're going to build up others. The word edification means to build up. It says, But that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. When the heart is right, the tongue will reveal it by speaking words to help others grow. We will edify others by being helpful, encouraging, constructive, uplifting, and by being a blessing. There are times where we have to correct things, and corrective in nature, and those times come when it's done from a heart of love, the goal of helping someone grow, it still builds someone up. When we gossip, say hurtful things to people, use the truth as a club to wound and hurt others, and say things that discourage, disappoint, and harm others, we're using our tongue in a way that displeases the Lord. And if we could learn something in our homes, 
clean up your mouth with your spouse. Your spouse, God's gift to you, is your spouse. God didn't like me very much with the gift he gave me. That's what some of you are thinking. No, he gave you a great gift. He gave you someone, your completer, right? Your help meet. And when you trash your spouse with corrupt, rotten, filthy garbage stewing from your mouth, shameful. Never should happen. You should never talk to a co-worker about your spouse that way either. Or to your kids about your spouse that way. You want to help your marriage out? Only say things that will build a, build your spouse up. Or just don't say nothing at all. Build others up. And then letter, or number two, and lastly, minister grace to the hearers. This phrase has the idea of being gracious in our speech, and it's the way that Jesus spoke. So he didn't speak that way all the time. Jesus had to correct problems. He had every right to be, to be very mean and to be very straightforward. He knew the hearts of everybody he was talking to. Look what the Bible says about him in Luke 4, verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. This manner of speech should characterize every child of God. The Bible tells us in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech, us, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. The whole idea here is that our words are to be influenced by the grace of God. We should be gracious to everyone we meet. That guy who cuts you off, that one who gives you the finger saying you're number one. We should use our speech to be gracious. That McDonald's worker that messed up your order for the fifth straight time. Be gracious. Last night I took Johnny and um, my niece Emily, took them out to eat with William. We went to Red Robin. It was 9.15. Red Robin there closed at 10. And they come over. There's only five tables taken in the place. And they come, they're like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a five-minute wait. Five-minute wait because they have so many tables open, I guess. And then they were like, we've only got one waitress tonight. One waitress. I thought that in my head. I didn't say that out loud. But you should have seen her just working so hard to take care of everything. And there were several people that were not super nice to her. And when we were getting ready to go, and I know she was tired, it's the end of her shift, I said, I just want you to know, I've watched you tonight, the time we've been here. And you've had a lot of work to do for one person. You've done a great job. And I gave her double the tip than I'd normally give anyone. A little bit of grace. Imagine what we could do in this world with just a little bit of grace. How it's needed. The Bible says in James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious, bridle if not his tongue. It says, But to see with his own heart this man's religion is vain. Very powerful right there. Is your religion vain? There's a old graveyard that had a gray slate tombstone in it, and this little tombstone bears a message on it. 
that unless you stoop down and look very closely, you can't really tell, but that's what it says. Beneath a stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabelle Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. You guys, when she died, that's the first time she held her tongue. That was the gist of it. So, oh, yeah. Don't be remembered that your last breath here on earth was the first time you quit talking. Yeah, thanks. Learn to hold your tongue today. A message like tonight, there's several things I need to work on in my life. And I think every one of us could look at areas of our tongue and be like, there's stuff we need to work on. And guess what? If you're saved, you have that new creature, that new man, and you can do better in the area of lying. And you can do better with the words that come out of your mouth. And man, what a prayer we should all pray. It's in Psalm 19. It's the last verse there. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of mine heart be acceptable in thy sight. Every morning I say that verse. Partway through the day I forget it. And I have to say it again. But man, if we could just watch our words and be like Christ. And think before you speak. So powerful. And sounds like they're bringing the kids out already. We better pray and be dismissed. Father, we love.